Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. Funny Because It's True is recorded live every other Tuesday at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes. And this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is Point of View. Two stories of personal perspective all wrapped up with retrospect. Mark Orzeka recounts his version of a story I told back in episode four. The story of our Chicago landlord's mysterious and reclusive male companion. A man who we came to find out held some pretty dark secrets. And later, I describe a trip to Las Vegas with my fascinating and flirty father, who, while a little tipsy, gave me insight into his adventurous and death-defying past. No time to dawdle. Let's get right to it. First up, Mark Orzeka. I am 35 now, and one thing is that I've, I've learned by this point in my life that I like to try to trust my initial instincts about people. That usually my initial instinct about somebody, if I feel like they're a little strange or weird or something's off about them when I first meet them, I've learned that usually they are. And um, I uh, I learned to trust this instinct through several experiences through my life. And and this is one of them. I, uh, I was uh, roommates with Kevin, who usually hosts this show, uh, for a couple of years in Chicago. And when we, we were looking for a place, and we, we found this house, and it was great. It was this, uh, like a two-story house in a great neighborhood in Chicago, Lincoln Square. And um, it seemed like a great setup, great neighborhood. We had tons of space. And the landlord, who was also the homeowner, lived downstairs, and we would live upstairs. So we, we met with her. Her name was Elizabeth. And she was about 65, and we signed the papers, and we also met Larry. Larry was this guy who lived with Elizabeth. He was maybe 70, bald, big, fat guy, pot belly. And we never – we could not understand what their relationship was. They definitely didn't seem to be married, no rings. They had different last names, and they just didn't feel like a couple – they felt like maybe brother or sister or maybe Elizabeth was kind of taking care of Larry. But um, we got to know more about Larry pretty quickly because we did move in. And after just a few days of being there, I ordered a pizza. And I knew that the pizza guy had arrived because I heard Larry screaming downstairs, I didn't order any goddamn pizza. Well, you're at the wrong house then. I don't care what the address is. I didn't order any goddamn pizza. So I quickly ran downstairs and found Larry and this screaming at this pizza guy. And I said, uh, Larry, I ordered the pizza. And he just looked at me and went back into the house and closed the door and didn't say a word. And I got the pizza. Now, a couple days later, we called to get the cable put in. So it's like a beautiful spring day. We've got all the windows open. Kevin and I are both home. The cable guy's up on a ladder. He's drilling you know, the hole to put the cable into the, to the place. And again, we hear Larry screaming downstairs at the cable guy. He's outside this time in the middle of the day screaming, get down on that goddamn ladder. You can't just go around this city drilling holes in people's houses. It ruins the property values. You're all a bunch of goddamn communists. Communists. To which Kevin said, I think he's mispronouncing Comcast. But the, uh, the cable guy like got down off the ladder, knocked on the door, and was like, I can't install a cable. This man is yelling at me. I'm leaving. And he left, and we couldn't get the cable in. 
So we called Elizabeth, and she was like, don't worry about it. Just have him come back, and it'll be fine. And we did. But weird things were always going on with Larry. Like, he was up in the uh, – hi, come on in. He was up in the attic all the time, and we, we didn't know what was up there or why, but all day when it was a little, Elizabeth was at work, Larry was up in this attic walking around. And then every time we saw him, he seemed to not know who we were, like – he had this big old um, woman's bicycle that he used to like drive. It was like an old gigantic woman's bicycle that he would ride around the neighborhood. And we would see him around and we'd be like, hey, Larry. And he would just look at us like he'd never seen us before and, and, and never acknowledged us. And even when we were at the house, he didn't seem to know who we were. Like um, one time he was coming out while we were going in and he sees us and looks right at us, but just blankly as if we're not there. And then he opens the door, and he lets the dogs out, and they attacked us. <laughs> Kevin, like, jumped out of the way. One of the dogs bit me. I was bleeding from this dog bite. And Larry didn't say anything, didn't acknowledge it. Just we went inside. He walked away. And then later Elizabeth came up and gave me, like, a Band-Aid and stuff. But it was super weird, and this was just going on. And we, we were constantly talking about, like, what is the deal with Larry, and are we ever going to find out what is up with this guy? Well, one day I was, uh, one night, I was home by myself, and we had a big front table in front of these big front windows that looked out on the street. It was nighttime, it was dark, and I decided that I would like to smoke some marijuana. So I took all my marijuana smoking paraphernalia, and I laid it all out on the table, and I, and I smoked, and I was getting a little high, and I turned all the lights down in the apartment, because it was like these windows opened up to the street, and it was nighttime, and I was just sitting there, and... Suddenly, there's uh, like a red and blue flash of a cop siren, like a cop car is out front. And then that giant like floodlight that the cops blast at you when they pull you over and they want to blind you so you can't see them behind you. That light is turned and blasts directly in our front windows. And it's just blasting in there. And I freeze. And finally, it cuts out. And I assume... That Larry and Elizabeth smell this weed, and they call the cops because they don't want people smoking weed in their house. And I grab all the shit, and I flush it down the toilet. And I'm sitting, and I'm waiting for the cops to come up and, you know, bust me or whatever. And I'm paranoid, and so it's, like, weird. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and they don't come. But they're sitting out there in their car. So I got frustrated. I thought, I'm going to go down there and see what's going on. If they're going to do something, I want to know about it. So I put my jacket on. It was wintertime. I went down there, and the two cops were sitting in their car. They're, like, talking and filling out paperwork. And I knocked on the window, and it scared the shit out of them. <laughs> they, like, jumped and rolled out the window and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm just wondering if everything is okay. And they said, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. And I said, well, you just shined a really bright light inside, inside my place. I live in this house. Are you sure everything's all right? And they kind of looked at each other, and the cop on the passenger side said, um, yeah, everything's okay. Uh, we just, you know, uh, you know how, you know how old people are, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you know, this old, that old guy downstairs, we, um, you know, we just we just wanted to check up on him. We just want to check up on him, make sure he's all right. Because, you know, old people sometimes, you know, they can get confused and things. But uh, he's all right, and everything's fine. Have a good night. <laughs> Rolled up the window. This is like, 
okay. They're trying to convince me that they just came by to check and make sure this old guy was okay. Some more time passed. We still didn't know much about what Larry's deal was, but all these weird things would happen. And one day Kevin was going to do the laundry in the uh, mutual laundry room that we shared with Larry and Elizabeth. And he walked into the laundry room and he discovered Larry uh, in the laundry room, old, fat, bald, pot-bellied, 70-year-old Larry, naked, except for the pair of lacy black women's underwear that he had on. And uh, Larry got startled. And he tried to hide behind, like, a basement support beam. But (laughs) Kevin could still easily see him and just said, hi, Larry, and turned and took his stuff and left. Well, we had lived there for about two years, and we still never knew anything more about the mystery of Larry. We We were about to move out in a couple weeks, and our friends who lived down the street called, and they said, uh, hey, have you guys ever looked on the National Sex Offender Registry? And we said, no. And they said, well, you should, because your house is on there. (laughs) So we went and looked it up, and our house was on there. And uh, the reason it was on there is because Larry, our uh, downstairs neighbor, um, his mugshot was up there. He's smugly looking at us in that mugshot because he had uh, been convicted of child pornography. And I, uh, yeah. So right before we moved out, we got a big clue as to what might be going on with Larry. And it was a good thing for us, I think, that we didn't find out before then because that would have been creepy. And uh, just a couple days before we were leaving, there was a for rent sign on the front of the house. And somebody knocked at the door and I went down and it was a woman and she was interested in renting the place. And she said, do you live here now? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, is it a pretty big place? And I said, yeah, it's, it's really big actually. And she said, how's the neighborhood? And I said, the neighborhood's great. And then she said, how's the, uh, how are the landlords? And I looked and I saw that she had her 10 year old daughter with her who was like playing on the other end of the porch. And I said, you don't want to live here. <laughs> And she said, what? Why? And I just went, you don't. You don't want to live here. And she's like, why? And I just went, trust me. You don't want to live here. And I closed the door. (laughs) So you always have to trust your first instinct. Next up, me, Kevin McGeehan. My father will be the first to admit that he finds my girlfriend, Ellie, to be a remarkably beautiful woman. He does not in any way try to hide it. When he talks to her, he's giddy. He's absolutely giddy. And it is even uh, more accentuated when she laughs at his jokes or hugs him. Uh, he makes uh, It is a mixture of elation Whimsy and glee with a touch of lechery. <laughs> uh, there are times where I'm talking to him on the phone and he'll find ways to kind of bring her up. And um, uh, he started doing this and he did it four times and I kept track of each time because it struck me funny each time. Um, he would say something and just infuse her into the conversation, just somehow just inject her somehow. And then he would say something cute and kind of funny, and then he would punctuate it with this. And I'm going to say this about eight times grosser than he said it. <laughs> Tell her I said that. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was flirt with my girlfriend using me as a middleman. 
There's a Mark Twain quote that I've always liked that kind of sums up my father's and my relationship. Uh, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I was 21, I couldn't believe how much the old man had learned in seven years. Uh, that sums us up really well. Uh, very quick overview. Between zero and ten, it was my mother and father, and then at ten years old, they divorced. And then in my teen years, I became the quintessential prototypical red-headed stepchild when he remarried. Uh, to give a very brief overview of that, um, I walked into a house where I was very different. And this is a conversation that never took place, but uh, when I walked in, Oh my gosh, Kevin, you're so very different than us. Would you like us to tell you how different you are and judge you accordingly? Wait, don't answer. We're going to do it anyway. Uh, and then in my 20s, uh, my father and I found ourselves around the second verse of uh, Cats in the Cradle. And we didn't really speak very much in that time period. But then when I hit my late 20s and into my 30s, I started to see something different. Because I was now the age that I remembered my father when he lived at the house with us, and I started to see things differently, and he started to make a lot of sense to me, and I couldn't believe how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> now, we cut ahead to last year. Uh, my mother passed away. For those, uh, many of you know in this room, my mother passed away, and from there, uh, my father's and my relationship uh, upped a few degrees. And one of the things I said to him was, you are now in the position where you get the Christmas presents that she would have gotten. Uh, and last year, he got this. I made... I'm a scrapbooker. <laughs> I love it. I'm really good at it. I find it therapeutic and rewarding. Uh, and what I did for two and a half months, I put together an intricate, uh, like a journal class scrapbook for him. That um, I did a show last year that um, I chronicled the first six months, and for two and a half months I would put stuff in it. I had a script of the show. Uh, people wrote me very nice things about it, and I put them all in there. There were pictures in it, and it was 136 pages. It was a lot of work. And when he got it, we went on this trip to Vegas, and we were going to have three days with just him and I, and it was just going to be fantastic. And I gave him this book, and he was so touched. And there was about 90 pages of text in it. And he read it in one sitting. And he, he told me later, um, I was just crying and laughing the whole time. And it was just absolutely wonderful. But this opened up the door to something brand new, which was he and I got drunk together that afternoon. <laughs> and he told me stories that, about things that I didn't really know a lot about him. So it was him really opening up. And I found out some of the scuttlebutt about my father. Um, some of my favorites... Uh, when he was 19, he was a repo man, and uh, he was repossessing a car one night, and a guy with a pump shotgun just kept pumping uh, shotgun shells at him and his buddy who were taking, stealing this guy's car. Uh, that was one. He also uh, used to run liquor illegally across state lines, and, uh, and as I joked that day, so essentially you were bandit of Smokey and the fame. And uh, he said yes, and we laughed drunkenly. And um, another one, uh, he almost died one time when he was driving a panel truck on a rainy night when he was in his teens. 
and um, somehow the car, uh, the panel truck got out of control, and he was thrown from it down a hill, and breaking every bone in his body as he went, he landed in a hole, and then right above him, the panel truck started to come down the hill after him, and landed on top of the hole over him, and fortunately someone saw the accident, otherwise he would have just been down there. These are just such interesting things. <laughs> um, and uh, we just had a fantastic time together. And um, I learned a lot about him, and he learned a lot about me, and we just had a really great time together. And a few days later, after our trip was done, uh, he called me, and we were just talking about it, and it was just such a nice trip, and all the things that we really loved. And I said, oh, did you show my stepmother and stepsister that, that book I gave you? And he said, yes, I did show it to him. And your stepsister was so thrilled by it. And she thought, oh, my gosh, how much work did he put into this? He really must have put some time and effort into this. And my father said to me, and I wrote down this conversation verbatim after it happened because it stuck with me so much. He said, yeah, I was telling your stepsister that I told you when I got this book that I thought, you must be gay. And I said, you never said that to me. He goes, I know, no, 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 I know, bear with me. And um, I thought that because you had put so much time and effort and the talent that you have for this, I thought you must be gay. But then I saw Ellie, and I knew that wasn't true. And he paused and then said, tell her I said <laughs> That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storyteller, Mark Warzeka. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, the Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on beautiful and mildly scary Hollywood Boulevard. You can like Funny Because It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. If you've listened this far into the episode, chances are you either really liked the show or the stop button on your listening device is currently malfunctioning. Either way, if you could, take a moment and leave a rating and a comment on iTunes conveying any feelings you may have had about the show. The more feedback, the better. Comments? our currency here in the iTunes world, so the more favorable comments and ratings, it allows the show to reach a broader audience. The next live show is Tuesday, April 10th at 10 p.m., and the theme will be parental guidance. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. For more funny stuff for your eyes and ears, go to ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.